0: everyone, to a very special episode of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. This is going to be the first time that I go solo with an episode. Uh, As you know, we are in the middle of a very interesting time in our history, and uh, as a result, I'm uh, recording a few uh, extra episodes. This episode is going to be part of a series that I uh, periodically go back to. Um, What I'm going to be doing is, at uh, times, talking about uh, the past few years where the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences have gone with five to ten nominees for Best Picture. I'm a little bit of a traditionalist. I was raised on the notion of five Best Picture nominees. Uh, In some cases, I didn't agree with the films that were nominated, but uh, in many ways, I kind of respected that it was a very, very special thing to be nominated for Best Picture. I feel like the Academy made a decision to try to boost the ratings. This has continued to be a factor in many, many uh, years since, and the hope was with the 5 to 10 format that more of the popular or popcorn movies would start to uh, find their way into the nominees list. There have certainly been a few films uh, like that. I think the most prominent was a few years ago when Black Panther managed to get a Best Picture nomination and did quite well with the ceremony itself. Uh, I Again, I'm not sure that's a good enough reason to be going with... 5 to 10. In that time, I don't believe they've ever had 10 nominees, but they've often had 8 or 9. For this episode, I'm going to take a look at our most recent Academy Awards ceremony for the films of 2019, where there were 9 nominations. I'm going to give a general review. I'm not going to spoil the movies this time around. Uh, Very quick reviews and my analysis of them. At the end, I'm going to take 90 points and distribute them among the 9 nominees. And from that, I'm going to shed four of the nominees and suggest what the five nominees for Best Picture for 2019 should have been. This is, of course, my opinion. It is very subjective. I know uh, movie critics would have a different take, and certainly uh, the general mainstream audience would have a different take. But this is my way to shed the nominees. I hope you enjoy this episode. And as always, I want to mention that you can email me with your thoughts at... Shelf shedding movie show at gmail.com. Please join and like my page on Facebook, the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. and uh, please share this podcast. Look out there. Out there is the perfect lamp. You see it. I think so. Most people can't. Carroll Shelby. Maybe. Lee Iacocca. Ford Motor. Suppose Henry Ford II wanted to build the greatest race car the world's ever seen to win the 24 hours of Le Mans. What's it take? Well, it takes something money can't buy. Money can buy speed. What in about speed? You need a pure racer behind the wheel of your car. That's Ken Miles. I don't trust him an inch. We heard he's difficult. No, no, Ken's a puppy dog. No, whatever it is, Shell, no. Trust me. The first nominee I'm going to talk about is Ford versus Ferrari. It is about a visionary audio, auto designer, Carol Shelby, and a race car driver, Ken Miles, when they team up to build a high-performance race car for the Ford Motor, motor Company hoping to defy the odds and defeat the dominant Ferrari at the 1966 Le Mans race. A 24-hour race, which is grueling. Uh, This film uh, kind of surprised me as far as nominations go. I I was not surprised to see it in a few tech categories. It was nominated for film editing, sound editing, and sound mixing. Uh, What I was a bit surprised at was two things one that uh, Christian Bale uh, was not nominated for Best Actor. Uh, Christian Bale it plays the uh, the driver, Ken Miles, and he had uh, been nominated for a lot of the Precursor Awards, uh, the Golden Globe, uh, the Screen Actors Guild, uh, but he was uh, somewhat snubbed here. Now, Christian Bale has been a uh, regular nominee for, uh, for years, and so maybe it's a little bit of Academy fatigue here with him, but I do have to say that... Uh, In many ways, he does steal the film here in Ford versus Ferrari. The other piece that uh, surprised me um, was that it was nominated in so few categories, but it did manage to get a Best Picture nomination. Uh, I saw the film kind of uh, late in the Oscar season process, and I was just impressed. It is a big screen movie. And now that it's no longer in theaters, and as nothing is in theaters right now, I would recommend a 4K Blu-ray, if that's possible for you, for seeing this film. Uh, The sound is immersive. It is uh, beautiful to look at. But the story itself, I think, is pretty much a, a Hollywood by the numbers biopic type of a film. Uh, Matt Damon is also in it, and he, he plays the uh, Carroll Shelby, who actually is, is sells the idea that Ford could build the right car with the right driver to be able to beat Ferrari. And uh, I, I think Damon does a good job. Uh, like many times, Matt Damon is either hyper intense in his roles or he's kind of a little bit of uh, comic relief. Now, certainly there are scenes which are dramatic in this movie in in many ways. I won't spoil too much of that uh, information in the third act, even though there's some pretty heavy-handed foreshadowing that does go on throughout the film about what happens in the third act. But there are points where Damon is... uh, very kind of confident, uh, arrogant in some places. Uh, very um, almost uh, uh, comedic. And again, I, I feel like this is well within his wheelhouse. He plays very well uh, with uh, off of Christian Bale. Not a big surprise. They're two A-list actors. I think their relationship and Bale's performance are the reason to see this film. And also, it is a it is a better than average popcorn movie. I have been thinking in the future I'd like to revisit it and do another Cars episode and have Ford versus Ferrari as part of that because that would have been perfect in that episode I did with Curtis Anderson. I, uh, however, have some qualms with it um, being in the Best Picture category because of the number of nominations it received. Only in tech categories, no other major categories. And also I feel like it was a very formulaic film but it is entertaining and I do recommend the film itself but I'm not sure as far as if we were going to whittle it down to the five best movies of 2019 that it belonged in that list. Frank Sheeran. Did I say that right? Yeah you said right. right. Uh, under the contract management can only fire a driver on very specific charges so do you have a show up late? No. Do you have any moving violations? No. Do you drink on the job? No. You ever hit anybody? On a job? Yeah. I don't think so. All right, then. We don't have nothing to worry about. But now, I'm a man. I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. How are you? Hi, nice to meet you. It was like the army. You followed orders. You did the right thing. You got rewarded. I'm a, man. a friend of ours is having a little trouble friend at the top. Back then, there was nobody in this country who didn't know who Jimmy Hoffa was. Get the gun out of his hand! You always charge a guy with a gun. With a knife, you run away. So you charge with a gun, with a knife, you run. The second Best Picture nominee I'm going to talk about is the Irishman. Now, uh, cards on the table. There were three movies in this list that I think are modern-day classics. And from the moment I saw The Irishman for the first time, I have been singing its praises. It was very high on my favorite movies of the decade list. So uh, I quite obviously feel that it is one of the top five films of 2019. I actually think it's one of the top five films of the decade uh, that we have just uh, passed. Uh, The uh, plot summary is... As an old man, a World War II veteran named Frank Sheeran, played by Robert De Niro, reflects on his life as a hustler and mob hitman, working alongside many notorious figures, including Jimmy Hoffa, played by Al Pacino, the subject of one of the greatest unsolved mysteries in American history. And in this movie, we are treated to everything that I have ever dreamed about in a Martin Scorsese film. It's been a long time since 1995's Casino. So from 1995 to 2019, Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro had not worked together. Now, as it happens, um, they spent years trying to get the Irishman onto the screen. It is uh, a true story, though um, there are elements of this which seem plausible, but have not actually been proven to be true, particularly around uh, what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. The performances are are amazing, and of course the, the big feature with this film, and maybe it was a little bit distracting, and the film became a little bit about two things. One was the fact that they digitally uh, managed to make uh, Pacino, Joe Pesci, and Robert De Niro look much younger than they actually are. This technology is going to evolve and become better and better, and so there's certainly some scenes where it looks really good. Some other scenes where it looks a little bit fakie, but it's no different than watching uh, a movie with dinosaurs or, uh, or CG animals. That's one of my big pet peeves right now is we don't have actual animals in movies anymore. A recent movie, which I, for the record, I have not seen yet, Call of the Wild, has a digital animal and it really distracts me when I see scenes from it. So that's just one of the things in there. But I think they did as seamless a job as is possible for filming this movie over the two years or so that they did from uh, probably about 2017 to 2019. A couple things I, I want to talk about as far as highlights of the performances, I think Robert De Niro, in some ways, just because of his age, uh, some people dismissed his performance. But he centers this film, which is the other thing that they talked about is how long the movie is. About three and a half hours is the length of this movie. What struck me, and it may be different for different people, but the first time I watched it, on, and I did watch it on Netflix, was that I did not know how long it was going to be. And I sat there and I watched it all in one sitting. I didn't stop. I didn't do anything like that. It engrossed me so so much the other thing as far as like a, a dream come true is seeing pacino in a scorsese film pacino had never been in a scorsese film before the first time i i watched it i'm not sure i was as crazy about pacino's performance uh i could see him acting but i was having trouble buying him as jimmy hoffa jimmy hoffa when he died was obviously years younger than pacino is now um and i was comparing it to another performance perhaps unfairly 1992's film Hoffa where Jack Nicholson to me just completely and totally became Jimmy Hoffa but rewatching uh, the Irishman once again and all in one sitting uh, for a second time uh, i did appreciate a lot there's a lot more subtlety to Pacino's performance than i i gave him credit for the very first time now the performance to me that is the best and this was another one that made me so excited because for years i've been wanting to see Joe Pesci in the movies again. He pretty much had retired. I feel like he still is retired. Uh, De Niro um, and Scorsese convinced him to do this film. I think it took a lot of convincing. As the award season started to pop around, you may have noticed that Joe Pesci didn't show up for any of the award ceremonies. If I had picked the Best Supporting Actor award, I definitely agree that Mr. Brad Pitt, who we'll talk about in a moment with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, deserved the award, but I would have wanted a tie between Joe Pesci and and Brad Pitt. Joe Pesci plays pretty much the opposite of the characters he played in Goodfellas and Casino, who were heads and incredibly violent. In this case, he is the Don. He is the head of the mafia, and he is calm, cool, and collected. Uh, a lot of his performance is in facial expressions. Uh, he isn't shouting, he isn't screaming, um, and he is taking control of different situations in a very thoughtful way i i knew he had this performance in him if you go back to some of his earlier performances in particular uh his performance in 1980s raging bull you knew that pesci was was capable of this he plays russell Buffolino, who is the head of uh this uh mafia organization that uh that frank the irishman played by robert de niro um ends up connected to um as it happens some terrific uh, uh performances from from some other folks some in some cases um, surprising Ray Romano shows up as uh, this mafia lawyer um, we we also have uh, some some uh, terrific work from Anna Paquin who plays Robert De Niro's daughter and uh, among many other uh, terrific actors Harvey Keitel who is the original collaborator with Scorsese he appears as uh, a high-level mafioso throughout the film too uh, he does quite a nice job Bobby kind of He's the one who uh, initially starts to get De Niro's character uh, uh, connected to... the mafia through uh, some favors that de niro does when he's uh, drive driving some trucks to uh try to get some items to them so that they can uh sell them on the black market uh it is uh, a terrific film beautifully directed the screenplay by Steven Zalian should have won the oscar which uh, very much shows shows my my bias uh in that category and when we uh, start to talk about a, a few other prominent nominees this year so i am a huge fan of the irishman uh but i i do understand that the digital effects maybe have not completely caught up but if we're looking at this in 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 10 years it will be a pioneer for this technology i feel um and i I also understand that there's one or two scenes where you can tell that robert de niro is older than he's supposed to be at that time but still i think he his performance is powerful the third act is insanely good probably the best work he's done in many years in film acting and uh, i really think that he he kind of, even though he was nominated as a producer, I think his acting probably should have been considered in that very competitive Best Actor category. Um, so I'm a huge fan of The Irishman. His you're a top man. Prepare to leave the house. Today, you boys will be involved in such activities as war games, ambush techniques, blowing stuff up. I don't think I can do this. Was? Of course you can. When I was your age, I had an imaginary friend. You got me in so much trouble. Kids, it's time to burn some books. Yeah. You're growing up too fast. Ten year olds shouldn't be celebrating war and talking politics. Uh, Hitler. I wish more of our young boys had your blind fanaticism. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know Jews can read each other's minds? But how would you know if you saw one? They could look just like us. Hi. Ah! Ah! You know what I am? Say, a Jew. Gesundheit. The third Best Picture nominee I'm going to talk about is Jojo Rabbit. I feel like this is the independent movie that could. Uh, there may be an argument for another film on this list here. But uh, there is always a spot, it seems like, for uh, a small film from uh, uh, a director, a writer-director, who has been building up an impressive resume. In this case, it is Taka Watiti. He's known um, quite a bit as a New Zealand filmmaker. Uh, What We Do in the Shadows, uh, it's kind of a a cult following as far as a horror movie. And uh, he is the uh, writer and director of this film. Uh, The plot summary is that during World War II, a lonely German boy's world is turned upside down when he discovers his single mother is hiding a young Jewish girl in their attic. Uh, Aided only by his idiotic imaginary friend Adolf Hitler, Jojo must confront his blind nationalism. So we start off and we're seeing the perspective of how young people were manipulated by the Nazis. It's done in a satirical and comedic way. So certainly uh, it is politically incorrect. Uh, I think some people watching the movie the wrong way might get uh, the wrong idea about it. But it, it is very, it's a very original idea, I guess. And so if you were to make an argument for it being in the top five, uh, it, it, as well as a few others here, are very original concepts. When I criticize Ford vs. Ferrari as being a formulaic film, uh, there have been lots of Ford vs. Ferrari types of plots. I don't think I've ever seen a Jojo Rabbit I have seen indie movies which have kind of a, a, a shocking idea but end up being a little bit sentimental and heartwarming here. Um, and we we certainly uh, have that with uh, quite a talented uh, young actor, Roman Griffin Davis, who plays Jojo Betzler, who has to reconcile the fact that everything he has been told is a lie when he starts to actually encounter a real Jewish person um, played by Thomasine McKenzie, who is this girl who is being hidden in the walls of their house by uh, his mother, played by Scarlett Johansson, who had a very good year being uh, nominated twice, uh, in this case for this film for Best Supporting Actress, and then in Marriage Story, which I'll talk about shortly, as uh, Best Leading Actress. And then uh, ta- uh, Taka Wat- Watiti again, pronunciation, he uh, actually cast himself as this ridiculous version of Adolf Hitler. He uh, went on the record saying that the moment, to me, his Oscar was when Mel Brooks saw the film and Mel Brooks uh, applauded and congratulated him on it and was a fan because Mel Brooks has made it his mission in life to make Adolf Hitler look ridiculous. And the reason for doing this is so that he no longer has a legacy of being this uh, this great evil leader, instead that he was uh, a racist and uh, a fool. And this movie does a really good job of that as this imaginary friend who gives all of the wrong advice to Jojo throughout, uh, including a situation where Jojo pretty much uh, nearly dies at this uh, Hitler youth camp. Um, some other mentions, Sam Rockwell, who is always a welcome addition to any movie. He plays uh, Captain Clintz, and he's he's in charge of this camp, but he he, he drinks heavily. He's not that... Interested, he's he's kind of uh, been reduced down in the um, in the organization, and we see one point where uh, he is um, he likes JoJo and he manages to ignore some things. So much like in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which got a lot of criticism unfairly in my view, uh, Rockwell plays uh, a very unlikable character, but there are some switches in the third act, which makes him a lot more likable. Uh, Again, I I like the performances. I'm not sure other than uh, the fact that uh, Johansson has a, a, a very good German accent. And she has this terrific scene uh, in the middle where she plays both uh, Jojo's father and herself. Um, And that is probably the scene that earned her the nomination. And and she she was fine. Nothing extraordinary, but she was fine in the role. Uh, And I think the acting in general was fine, maybe a bit better than fine. Terrific ensemble cast for this one. I like this movie. I hesitate to love it. I like the premise, uh, I like the humor, but again, I I feel like three of the films here are classics and one of the movies is just uh, daringly, daringly original and an important film as well. So if four of the five spots are taken up with those, it's a real battle for the fifth position. So um, again, I, I appreciate Jojo Rabbit, but I'm not sure I love it quite as much as the critics certainly did. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? Smile Though your heart is aching Smile Even though it's breaking When there are clouds In the sky You'll get by If you smile You What's so funny? Just Freak! <laughs> Gotham's lost its way. What kind of coward would do something that cold-blooded? someone who hides behind a mask. I used to think that my life was a tragedy. The next film we're going to talk about is Joker. And Joker has already been referenced in several conversations on this show, uh, in particular uh, when we've talked about uh, modern times and also Taxi Driver. I think Joker was the successful idea with this five to ten nominee situation where it made a lot of money. It was a popular film. It's a dark film in many ways. Uh, Black Panther certainly has its... um, uh, it is an important film, but it's not an R-rated film. Joker, I would say, would be a hard R, for sure, and is quite disturbing. Um, I had, I don't know if this is the best experience or the worst, depending on how you feel about it, but when I saw it in the theatre, uh, there was uh, somebody in the very front row who probably wasn't that far off from Joker himself, and was laughing at stuff that uh, was incredibly disturbing that happens in the third act of the film. So I left there very, very creeped out. Uh, But at the same time, I think the movie would have had me no matter what, because I do like the 70s aesthetic. I like uh, this idea. I know some people aren't as crazy about making these uh, superhero characters and putting them into kind of the real world. But uh, in that film, much like in Taxi Driver, and I think the film um, owes a lot and writer-director Todd Phillips owes a lot to Taxi Driver because he basically structures this film on Taxi Driver, where we're in 1970s New York City, which is not like the New York City uh, post-Rudy Giuliani, which was very much uh, controlled by business and Times Square became a tourist area. Again, it's a little bit of a vision of hell where uh, there are is no morality anymore. And as we see uh, our character start to become the Joker played by Joaquin Phoenix, in a near-perfect performance. We sort of see how this poor guy could have been a good and decent person, but how society uh, stomped him down to the point where he felt that he had no choice but to go in a very dark and violent direction. much like Travis Bickle in taxi driver tries really hard to be what he thinks is a standing citizen, but he is outside of the mainstream and he cannot find his way in there. He just does not understand uh, other people. Uh, if I was to make a criticism of Joker, uh, there is a little bit of a predictable plot twist that happens involving, a, a character who is introduced as kind of a key relationship. And uh, again, I I feel like it's, it's logical and it's built up, but uh, those who've watched a lot of movies would definitely be able to tell that what's going to end up happening with that relationship. It's beautifully directed. While well, we have Heath Ledger, who uh, won Best Supporting Actor, deservedly so for The Dark Knight, his approach was... Uh, of the Joker as, as a dog, as this animal. And he was doing things with his tongue to the side. And there's a scene where the window is down and his head is out. The choices here by Phoenix were his own, which I think was a good thing. And he, he saw the Joker's being a little bit more of a dancer. So there's these scenes which some people may or may not appreciate or they may be genuinely creeped out with where there is this music playing and the film did win for music score. Uh, there might have been a score that I would have voted for over it, but I, there's no doubt it's a it's a beautiful piece of music um, that accompanies this film, pieces of music. But we we see him moving around the music by himself as he kind of evolves and turns into this the super villain. One of the criticisms could be that we are not supposed to feel sorry for uh, a villain for Joker. And we do end up feeling sorry for him in several scenes Uh, in particular, just some of the situations that him and his mother are in Um, how his biological father treats him when there is an encounter in the second act Um, and just how he's treated at work, how he's treated by people on the street Uh, how he's even treated, um, on the, uh, on the bus. Um, he has this, uh, psychological disorder where he starts laughing uncontrollably when he's nervous. That is beautifully acted. It takes a lot. And I think, you know, this is an immersive performance by Phoenix. So a lot of the details he, he much like Ledger did with the Dark Knight, totally became the Joker, uh, through the entire filming of this. And I think it was hard on his body, hard on him, uh, Psychologically, uh, and I, I I do appreciate the sacrifices he made, but I I am glad that. It appears that he's gotten himself back into sort of who he is. And he's an eccentric character. The actor himself, if you saw his acceptance speech, uh, it was to raise issues about uh political issues and environmental issues around the world, less so about uh accepting the award. But he had been quite gracious throughout this period, acknowledging his fellow nominees and saying that, you know, no none of them nobody's better than the other person. Again, a lot of people kind of say that, but I felt that he he was being very genuine in his acceptance of this and maybe seemed a little bit embarrassed with all of the attention he had because he swept all of the awards as the best actor of the year in quite uh quite a strong year as i've mentioned i've already mentioned two people robert de niro and christian bale who weren't nominated and maybe there was an argument could have been nominated in that category uh this year as well as far as the five to ten thing i actually think in the leading actor category you could have easily had 10 nominees this year and wouldn't have gone wrong but uh I am an enormous fan of Joker. I, I was not excited for this movie to come out. I thought, do we need another joke, another person playing Joker in another Joker film? But this one disturbed me. It, it blew me away in its power. Uh, I can only imagine that's what it was like in 1976 to sit in the movie theater and see Taxi Driver for the very first time. And so I... I am very much on board with it getting a Best Picture nomination. Whether it deserves uh, what I would call my fifth spot on the list, uh, we will see. This is Meg, Amy, Beth, and Joe. I'm working on a novel. It is a story of my life and my sisters. Make it short and spicy. And if the main character is a girl, make sure she's married by the end. Ow, Every Joe! Second... I want to be an artist in Rome and be the best painter in the world. That's what you want too, isn't it, Joe? To be a famous writer? Yes, but it sounds so crass when she says it. My girls have a way of getting into mischief. Well, so do I. This is Meg, Amy, Beth, and Joe. <laughs> I intend to make my own way in the world. No one makes their own way, At least of all a woman. You'll need to marry well. You are not married, aren't you? Well, much. that's because I'm rich. Joe, would you like to dance with me? I can't because I scorched my dress. And Meg told me to keep still so no one would see it. I have an idea of how we can manage. Joe is a lost cause. So you are your family's hope now. I believe we have some power over who we love. It isn't something that just happens to a person. I think the poets might disagree. The next Best Picture nominee I'm going to talk about is Little Women, uh, Greta Gerwig's take on Little Women. Again, I... I, I guess I wasn't all that excited to see another film version of Little Women. I really enjoyed the 1994 vil- version uh, that uh, Winona, Ry- or Winona Ryder got a Best Actress nomination for playing Joe March. Uh, I have a lot of um, bias towards this uh, the, the book and the film in the sense that uh, a positive bias because I directed a production of it as a high school teacher and it was one of the more pleasurable experiences I've had uh, creating a work of theatre. So I certainly have a little bit of a my take on the characters and how I like to see them portrayed. I, I like what Gehrig did here with her screenplay. I'm an enormous fan of her directorial debut, Lady Bird, which uh, involves some of the same uh, members of this cast here. Uh, she brought together a terrific ensemble for the film. And uh, again, it's the story of the March family. But what she does, which is a little bit different, is she takes a look at the publishing of the Little Women book and through flashback tells the story of Little Women. And uh, so I was impressed with like tr- trying to find a way to uh, reinvent the structure of the story. It's led by Sarosha Ronan, who I'm an enormous fan of, playing Joe March. Um, and she definitely brings her own uh, take and her own um, notes to this. Uh, I have often seen, uh, for some reason, in, in, in different versions where they have had, and I don't know if it's because of Winona Rider or what. Uh, a brunette to play Joe March, but in this case, it was it was good to just see uh, different physical casting for this role. And Ronan has some some really terrific scenes, but then there's some other scenes where I would have expected just something a little bit more powerful. And uh, again, I I don't want to ruin too much, but there is quite a tragedy that happens. Now, I'm not sure this is as much Ronan's performance or how Gehrig edited the sequence together, but when a key family member has died, uh, I really didn't feel what I think they were going for or should have, like I did in the 1994 version, or in other, uh, you know, stage versions that that I, I encountered which was kind of to me and it was a little bit of an unusual thing that i was not i I was feeling emotion throughout this but i wasn't necessarily feeling the emotion in the places where traditionally i have uh, noticed it to be the case uh a lot of you know the stuff that uh (laughs) <laughs> triggers me, for lack of a better word. He's around Beth March in that character. Eliza Scanlon plays Beth March. Does quite a nice job. Kind of gets overshadowed by the other sisters. But we're, we're taking a look at Sorosha Ronan, Emma Watson, who plays Meg March... And Florence Pugue, who I'll talk about in a minute, heavy hitters, but uh, definitely the scenes. I, I think it was less to do with Scanlan's performance and a little bit more to do with, uh, again, how I feel about that story and about the Beth March character. Florence Pugue plays Amy March. Uh, this is, it was kind of an interesting decision to not go with uh, two actors at two different time frames like they did in 1994, where at that time they had Kirsten Dunst play the uh, younger version of Amy March, and uh, Samantha Mathis play the older version who encounters Laurie in Paris. Uh, In this case, Florence Pugh played both age ranges. I I think it's kind of obvious that she's not as young as she's supposed to be. Uh, Certainly there were criticisms of Robert De Niro not appearing as young as he was supposed to be be in The Irishman, and he wasn't nominated, but Florence Pugh did get a Best Supporting Actress nomination, and I think was quite a popular choice. If there had been an upset this year in this category, I I, I could have seen her winning Best Supporting Actress. She's good, no doubt about it. It's Again, it's a, an original take on the Amy March character, and uh, I was impressed with what she did. But again, in some of those scenes where she's younger, I, I wasn't, wasn't buying it as much. Um, some other highlights, uh, Laura Dern plays Mary March she was a very very busy person this uh this year um certainly with her work on shows like Big Little Lies uh of course she won the Supporting Actress category for Marriage Story which I'll talk about shortly and she's in this film she had the uh kind of unique situation of she she had acted in scenes with two of her competitors in the category in uh, different projects this year obviously with Florence Pugh but also with Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story She is is a terrific actor. I do think Laura Dern sometimes is not stretched as much as she could be. Uh, I do like her in Big Little Lies maybe a little bit more than some other things because she is plays somewhat of an antagonist, not all the time. It's, it's a little bit more complex. Sometimes she plays just such a really kind of nice, easygoing, uh, smiley type of character that I'm not sure that she plays darker notes as much. She's not really required to play darker notes here. She does quite a nice job. Uh, Aunt March, which is a fairly colorful character in the story, they got the best, Meryl Streep, uh, for a few scenes for this to play Aunt March. Uh, I think it was a good role for her. It wasn't really a stretch, but she does, if you're acting opposite Meryl Streep, you're going to uh, have a tough time uh, coming out the better. And I think the younger cast does quite a nice job with the scenes that they uh, have, with her. Uh, the other one, obviously, uh to to mention in here is uh an actor who has been very uh very prominent uh the last several years, Timothy Chalamet. And uh, Timothy Chalamet, he uh plays Theodore Laurie Lawrence, who is uh ends up being a really, really good friend to Joe. And this is kind of a scene I I, I want to mention, not to ruin it, but there there is a scene where he proposes to Joe, and that was a scene where I was just Left a little bit cold with uh, not as much um, the performance by by Shamalot, but uh, as, as far as um, the choices that, uh, that that Ronan made. Again, it's very rare that I I am dissatisfied with uh, a scene that she acts in. But again, this was a kind of a big moment and a big scene in the film and for her character, and I, I just didn't. It didn't have the same strength that I had seen in uh, some earlier takes, uh, and Winona Rider in particular. You can tell I'm a fan of the Winona Rider performance for sure. When I compare them, unfortunately, I do have to compare them a little bit here. Um, but uh, he he does a quite a quite a serviceable job as kind of playing this you know fairly rich guy who just loves the freedom that these young women have and starts hanging around with them and naturally starts to uh, fall in love and we kind of uh it's it's heavily choreographed what happens as far as the love stories in here um again we've talked a little bit with some of my guest critics about how the love stories are somewhat predictable uh in nature that things don't work out there's all these misunderstandings and i think that's the case here but it it is consistent with the target audience and the style of those who want to see a film version of little women um but that part, and probably a little bit more of the source material, is a little bit ham-handed. Geerwig does a good job with it, but again, much like Ford versus Ferrari, we kind of know where we're going to go. But again, I, I thought, you know, again, this this clever idea, and it, it became even more clear in the third act with going back and forth between... This idea of a woman being able to uh, publish a novel in a time, which was still a, a male-centered world, I thought was was great in kind of making Joe, the comparison between Joe and Louisa May Alcott. Uh, one choice I, I would like to see is if they had decided that uh, Sriracha Ronan was actually playing Louisa May Alcott with this uh, and was trying to sell uh, the publisher on this story uh, of Joe March and Little Women. But again, I I think it's a really good film. I'm not sure it belonged in the top Five. I predicted it was going to be a nominee. It wasn't as much in the precursor awards, but uh, the audience built for it around the time the nominations and the, the, the voting happened. So I wasn't surprised to see it in uh, this top nine list. Uh, but as far as the top five, if I'm going to shed a movie, again, I, I probably have a few more picky criticisms for Little Women. Uh, did it move me? Yes. Is it well acted? Definitely. Is it worth seeing if you are a fan? of the novel or if you perhaps even though I'm comparing them if you are a fan of previous film versions I think it is worth uh, checking out Gearwig is an exciting filmmaker I know there was a lot made with her not getting a Best Director nomination this time around I I really was happy she was nominated for Best Director for Lady Bird I don't think she deserved Best Director for this film but I am looking forward to a day when she is standing up there with an Academy Award either for her writing or her directing and I'm looking forward to her future projects because there's no doubt that as an actor she's incredibly talented but she's a talented filmmaker and an exciting new filmmaker uh, in this time where we're starting to see more women taking the helm and i hope that continues to be the case it seems to be happening in television a little bit more and i hopefully it catches up in film over the next few years what i love about nicole she is a mother who plays really plays I'll tell Charlie what's happening, and Cassie, you then hand him the envelope. I just get nervous. Ooh, can you unserve? What do you mean, like take it back? Charlie and I are getting a divorce, Mom. You can't be friends with him anymore. Gee, Charlie Bird! <laughs> Mom! <laughs> Mom! Mom! What? You know, most people in my business, you're just transactions to them. I like to think of you as people. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> You remind me of myself on my second marriage. all Part of what we're going to do together is tell your story. Did you dye your hair again? No, this is me. You don't like it? Is it shorter? Mm-hmm. I prefer it longer, but... How are you doing? The next nominee I'm going to talk about, and I've referred to uh, a few times, is Marriage Story. Because, as it happens, there were actors in this movie that were in uh, more than one Best Picture film that this year this movie is basically about a young creative couple and their son and how they navigate the tricky waters of a bi-coastal new york la separation and impending divorce i have seen and normally i am actually i don't know a fan is the right word but i am moved by stories of couples that um that break up and uh have to deal with divorce. Again, I, I am reminded and I know uh, writer director, Noah Baumbach. I think he's very influenced by some cinema in the seventies and certainly Kramer versus Kramer is a fairly famous best picture winner, which, uh, Dealt with divorce in the in uh, the late 70s, and here we have a film that deals with divorce now and how it kind of uh, plays out and starts off in kind of uh, not for everybody, but for this couple in kind of a respectful way, and then. Uh, lawyers get involved, and it becomes nastier and nastier and nastier as it goes on. Again, I'm impressed with the performances. I am a bigger fan of another movie. This is the second movie that uh, deals with divorce that Noah Baumbach wrote and directed. I'm a bigger fan of *The Squid and the Whale*, uh, a film that. Uh, starred Laura Linney and uh, Jeff Daniels. It's one of my favorite Jeff Daniels performances. I would have liked to see that movie up for Best uh, Picture, and I I I wish it... it, I don't think it got any nominations, and I I really wish that it had. I was less impressed with the writing of this one. I... Didn't find myself caring about the characters as much as I think I should have. And I I went in hearing that this is the one for Scarlett Johansson. That she might win Best Actress for this. And maybe I went in with too high expectations for her work. She does a nice job. It's a very tough and very emotional performance. She's, she's dealing with a lot of different dynamics. And how she feels like her life has been on hold and her dreams have been on hold uh in support of her husband's dreams um adam driver as he's kind of an avant-garde theater director and 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 writer and works with this company in new york and how there were other things that she wanted for her life and she discovers that she can have these if she was to separate and become her own person and uh move back to los angeles adam driver steals the movie for me he has some incredibly emotional and tough scenes and he goes there uh m driver has been a consistent presence i'm not sure i was completely on board i I first saw him in a few episodes of the tv show girls i didn't get too deep into that show and maybe if i got deeper into the show i'd appreciate what he was doing there but I've, i've started to appreciate him more and more uh in particular in his uh previous nomination for black klansman the spike lee film the year before I really enjoyed what he did in that film. And he's he's kind of grown on me. I've enjoyed him in the Star, the latest Star Wars trilogy as well. And I think he is a definitely a bankable presence. And he's probably one of these guys that he'll be nominated a few times, and then the role will come to him where he's going to win. I think if there had been an argument for anybody in this cast to win, it should have been Adam Driver. But as I said, that Best Actor field was wild this year. And he was up against Joaquin Phoenix in a a career role, really. So Driver, uh, again, wouldn't have had my vote for Best Actor. But if anybody in the cast was to win, I would have gone for it. The winner, and their only award that they received, was Best Supporting Actress for Laura Dern. And I, I hate to dismiss some performances as career Oscars. But I, I feel like because Laura Dern has been in the industry since she was a child, she's done great work in David Lynch films, a lot of independent cinema. Uh, she's been nominated a few times before that this was, they decided it was her time and they decided she was going to be the Oscar winner for, for this well ahead of time. She has a like very very short performance. It's a few scenes. She's big. She's strong in them. But I'm not sure it was anything was that difficult for her to do. She plays a passive aggressive lawyer who is uh, representing Scarlett Johansson's character. And the scene where she kind of convinces Johansson that her husband isn't as wonderful as as she's you know makes him out to be. And she muddies the water. And she makes. These, you know, this separation much more difficult uh, than it is. Uh, I really liked her. She had a nice dynamic with the opposing lawyers. At points, Adam Driver has different lawyers. Uh, a, a kind of high-profile um, lawyer played by Ray Liotta. It was nice to see Ray Liotta in a different type of role here. Again, an extended cameo from him. We get a few scenes in there, and it was lovely to see Alan Alda in this film. Again, totally for sentimental reasons. I love Alan Alda. One thing, and I don't. It's not fair to criticize anything in here, but about the time he was filming this movie is when he got his Parkinson's diagnosis. And I could see in some of Alan Alda's scenes, particularly a key scene with Adam Driver, that uh, he was he was struggling a little bit uh, to deliver his performance. And so that was a little bit distracting for me, but I, I'm really, really pleased that Alan Alda did this film and that Noah Baumbach uh, cast him in this role as kind of this uh, uh, less prominent divorce lawyer who's kind of uh, working out of his home and is a little bit more uh, relaxed about this. He's kind of seen it all, but maybe isn't necessarily the aggressive fighter that uh, Driver finds out that he needs to to battle that Laura Dern character. Um, so, I, again, this, is a, this was the other Netflix Best Picture nominee this year with The Irishman. I think The Irishman is a much, much better film. But uh, Marriage Story is worth watching, I would say, for Adam Driver's performance Um and just to sort of see the cast that he uh, put together for this film. But I'm not sure that it would belong in the top five. I feel like if it had been a vote of the top five, it might've had a shot because it was an early Oscar uh, favorite and that, momentum seemed to kind of sweep through the awards, but the momentum rewarded Laura Dern more than anybody else. I I I might have, or, well, I definitely would have voted for somebody else for Best Supporting Actress um, I, instead, because I don't think this was as much of a stretch. But I am happy to see Laura Dern win an Academy Award for something, for sure. She has been uh, just in this the stretch, she's on kind of a, a, new, um, a new level to her career, and I'm excited to see what Dern does in the future. One of my fears is kind of the Russell Crowe fear. Russell Crowe got this Academy Award for Gladiator, which was completely undeserved, and then he started delivering way, way better performances uh, after this, but because he'd already won, got bypassed for probably the roles that he should have won an Oscar for and he ended up with an Oscar for a role that wasn't that fantastic and that might happen um with future work from Laura Dern who is uh again at the moment she seems to be batting uh batting a thousand with the the uh, film projects and tv projects that she's taking on so that's uh my, my general analysis of Marriage Story please check it out and feel free to disagree with me in your own time gentlemen must be something big if the General's here. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. So. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. Oh, man! If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. So it looked very much like 1917 was going to win best. Picture of the year. All of the precursor awards had it winning. Uh, early on, it was a little bit of a surprise. I think some people uh, thought that uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or The Irishman would be uh, the favorites, and I think they were still in discussion as the Oscar season proceeded. Uh, 1917 is uh, a really unique film in many ways, and to have a unique war film when so many war films have been created, particularly about World War II, uh, maybe less so World War I, um, is quite impressive. Sam Mendes directs this and it's during World War I where two British soldiers are sent on a dangerous mission to stop an attack by the British 7th Division that will result in a massacre by the Germans. The assignment takes an extra urgency. One of the young soldiers' brothers is fighting in that division. Sam Mendes, uh, who directed and won an Oscar for American Beauty, uh, among some other really, really strong films, a movie I quite like called Revolutionary Road as well, Um, he, uh, he decided to make most of the film appear to be in a single take, and really take the camera in and make us as an audience a soldier in World War II, in the trenches... And walking through the barbed wire and being part of the battles and he is incredibly successful in that this is definitely and he was emphasizing it when it first came out a big screen film it needs to be seen in a movie theater now obviously it won't be seen in a movie theater again unless um, somebody decides to re-release it at some point point. Uh, and it appears that it did very well at the box office I, I saw it twice in the movie theater and uh, it holds up on multiple viewings very well It is an immersive experience unlike anything that I have ever seen. Perhaps the story itself is not that unusual, but how it is directed, how it is presented is unusual. And I said there were three movies on the list from this year that are classics. I think 1917 deserves a place in there as a modern-day classic. Uh, again, much like Ford versus Ferrari, my recommendation, if possible, is for you to get a 4K Blu-ray of this film and watch it on a 4K player, uh, as my as big a screen as you have, and uh, if you can possibly, depending on where you live, turn up the sound as well. Uh, it is an amazing achievement, uh, and. I I certainly, um, while I, I favored a couple other films over it, to give you a hint, this would probably be my number three. It is a very strong number three. Most of my number threes in any given year would not be as good. In most years, this would be a number one film. I highly recommend it. It is an important film. I, I feel like uh, even though we are going through um, quite a tough time here with the COVID-19 situation, we were moving into a time where several generations had not... Uh, uh, really understood what was sacrificed in World War One by these young men, and I've had the uh, pleasure of, I guess, for lack of a better word, of being to a lot of the places where the battles of World War One. Particularly for British and Canadian soldiers happened, and it, it's a very powerful experience, and has made me appreciate uh, what was sacrificed a lot more. Injured soldiers at that time were bandaged up and put right back into the field. It wasn't like they could go home because they had been injured, and uh, you, you see just how difficult it was uh, at that time, and it's just beautifully rendered. Uh, I think it is somewhat based on a true story about Sam Mendes' family, just. Based based on some dedications towards the end. And uh, it was a very personal project and beautifully photographed. This is the one where the, the music score is um, it's not a melodramatic music score. It brings up the suspense. It brings up the tension in such an effective way. Uh, I Thomas Newman has never won an Academy Award and I thought he should have received it here. I understand that the Joker music score was very inventive and very unique and I, I, I don't dispute how great it is but this one was that much better and it served the story in a very very specific way so beautifully photographed um and and certainly the the sound is immersive ford versus ferrari in 1917 were kind of the best films for sound for me uh, in this past year. I know there were lots of popcorn movies that came out as well that you can make an argument for, but those two uh, were were amazing. But 1917 is a really, really special film. I'm a touch disappointed if given who the two front runners are that it didn't win, but I also think it was a very important uh, win for Parasite, a film I'll talk about shortly. Uh, I, I, I do recommend it. Uh, the acting is strong, but I and there are some really nice appearances by some prominent British actors, Colin Firth, and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in particular. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad that the, the characters sort of centering the film are not that well-known, at least to uh, North American audiences at this point. Very, very impressive uh, technical achievement. And certainly, uh, if San Mendes had won his second Academy Award for this, I, uh, for Best Directing, I, I would have understood it. Again, my vote would have gone likely to Martin Scorsese, but at the same time, I just, uh, I want to give credit where credit is due. This was a deserving film. Um, and i i was predicting that it would win best picture and i was surprised when it did not even though i had heard late in the process that there was a little bit more buzz and a little bit more of a, a drive uh, towards parasite winning please check it out but try to watch it in the best quality that you can and i i don't know if there'll be a streaming service that can adequately uh immerse you into this film in quite the same way that a movie theater experience uh would have i consider myself very lucky to have seen this movie twice in in the movie theater and uh i i highly highly recommend 1917 i hope to talk about it again in the future i'm rick dalton it's my pleasure I'm mr schwartz call me marvin put it there that's your son no that's my stunt double cliff booth last night we watched a rick dalton double feature <laughs> all the shooting <laughs> I love that stuff, you know. The killing, a lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? Oh! Come you, see bastard! <laughs> Seems this world got you down. You're feeling bad about Me, an actor? No, I'm a man. Well, you still the huh? Still here. You can do anything you want to him. I hired you to be an actor, Rick. Not a TV cowboy. You're better than that. <laughs> Line? Cut! You embarrass yourself like that in front of all those goddamn people! <laughs> all right, what's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy has been uh, night and the leaves hanging down and the grass oh, on the ground here stand. I am flat on my ass who, who I got living next door to me I'm Sharon Tate I'm in the movie you're in this that's me I play Miss Carlson the where there ain't no trees Charlie's gonna dig you and that gospel group I've made it very clear that I'm a huge Quentin Tarantino fan, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is one of my absolute favorite Tarantino films. Uh, I watched it, I believe, five times in the movie theater, and I think about four times in the first week it came out last July. It is an absolute masterpiece. It is, uh, much like The Irishman, a long film. And I like long films. That's been my history. Uh, I know that goes against a society where uh, an hour and a half now feels like a long sit. And we're used to 40-minute drama TV shows and 20-minute sitcoms and uh, YouTube clips and, and other things like that. But I like that as as much as Tarantino has uh, a reputation for shocking us with extreme violence, extreme language and situations that he's a patient filmmaker. I feel like a lot of his, his role models were not patient filmmakers. A lot of the grindhouse films of the 70s uh, were all about the blood and guts and sex. Uh, he's about developing characters, developing natural conversations pauses subtext that kind of thing and it's a really really interesting film and he gets another amazing cast for this uh centered by three uh terrific performances and again ones that uh, you know i would seen the first time uh, i was really uh in love with some performances and wasn't as sure about some others but then re-watching it i started to appreciate a lot of what was uh, going on here with each character so uh, the, the plot is that we've got um, in 1969 Los Angeles an aging TV star named Rick Dalton and his longtime stunt double Cliff, Cliff Booth. So, uh, Rick Dalton is played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Cliff Booth is played by Brad Pitt. Great chemistry between these two. It was maybe you'd argue the buddy movie of the year, uh, without being kind of a, a traditional Hollywood action film. And they're struggling to make their way around in an industry in, industry, in a city that they hardly recognize anymore. Times are changing, uh, in society. Again, I think they were kind of, um, more from the anti hippie, anti radical establishment. Um, Uh, And it so happens that Rick Dalton lives next door to Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. And Sharon Tate is played beautifully by Margot Robbie. I think I didn't get completely what she was doing in the first time that I watched it. Uh, But she does a perfect Sharon Tate. And again, there's a lot of subtlety to her performance. Uh, There's this wonderful sequence where she's watching a movie that she's in with Dean Martin. And uh, Robbie is just watching and she is just just amazed by how she can be up on that big screen and she enjoys the movie so much uh and it's it's really really cool to just watch her reaction so a lot of her performance was in reaction shots cards on the table she also gave a great performance in a movie called bombshell which uh, i kind of thought might get a best picture nominee in this five to ten um world that we're in it, it did not margot robbie's performance in bombshell i think she should have won the oscar for best Supporting Actress. But it's a really nice... Coupling between um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Bombshell to see how good she is. I'm not sure I completely got how good this actor is. Uh, I was not as much of the like uh, uh, the the Tanya the Harding film a few years ago. I, I thought she was quite good in it. I wasn't blown away by her performance, nor was I blown away by Allison Janney. I thought Allison Janney's she won the Oscar for it, but she was a little bit over the top. Side note on that one. Um, but uh, Robbie does some really nice things in Once Upon a Time. In hollywood but the flashiest performances is leonardo dicaprio but again it is uh re- requires reactions and subtlety there's this great scene many many great scenes I, I i'll go into too much detail and i will be reviewing this film because i own it again in the future so i don't want to go too deep into it but there are scenes where we see uh rick dalton struggling with his lines and he keeps trying to get it right and is followed by a scene where he is just tears apart his trailer i feel. I don't know for sure, but I think think tarantino allowed dicaprio to improvise the entire scene uh that was hinted at in one of the awards shows where tarantino said that his actors uh did a little bit more than uh he'd allowed actors to do in previous films that he had written and directed and i, I feel like dicaprio uh improvised this really well shot well cut scene um and it showed the best of him once again i i'm a huge dicaprio fan he can do very little wrong in my eyes i knew that because Joaquin Phoenix was so amazing and again I would have voted for Joaquin Phoenix but in the ordinary year DiCaprio would win another Oscar in my mind for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Powerhouse performance in here but it is uh, the flashiest of the roles in here. Not so flashy is Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt as we know won the Oscar for playing C- Cliff Booth who is this stuntman who is the support system for Rick Dalton and again there's, there's the first time I'm not sure I got all of the notes that Pitt was plain, but if you watch his face um, and you watch his reactions, again, it is it is a, a subtle performance. Again, I don't want people to think that he won this Oscar as a career prize like I'm claiming with the Laura Dern win. He earned this Oscar. Uh, it was about time. Pitt is a movie star, I've talked about this before, who's not afraid to make himself look ugly for a role or play villainous characters. Uh, Cliff Booth is not really a villainous character in any way, um, but it was a perfect role. Tarantino gave him uh, a gift with this with this role, and uh, I'm I'm really happy to see him get his due. I would have liked to tie with him in Joe Pesci, as I stated, but Pitt deserved the Oscar. But I I also think that Tarantino, I almost feel like most times when Tarantino writes a screenplay, he should win the Academy Award. This is another one where I, I would have liked to see him win the Academy Award. It is an epic. It is very re- rewatchable. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching it again. I'm in love with this film. It's one of my favorite films uh, by Tarantino. It was number two for me on the for, for this year. I obviously am a huge fan of The Irishman and I definitely, definitely believe that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a classic and deserves to be on a list of five nominees from this group of nine is it perfect probably not no there are um likely uh the pace might be tough for some people i'm fine with the pace of the film and it really is it's kind of realistic uh even though it's very tense and we know we're not sure where we're going with things for in many scenes and when that violence is going to erupt which it eventually does. But I I think uh, some of the criticisms of it may be into spoiler territory, which I don't want to get into uh, with this review. I might get into it with a future review of this movie. But if you are a fan of Tarantino and his previous films, you should check out Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, If you have some issues with extreme violence and swearing and, and that kind of thing, then maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is not for you. But Tarantino fans, it is a must. And I am an enormous fan of this film. 뭐야? 소독해? 창문 닫아 나도 봐 공짜로 집안에 소득도 하고 어! 부모님 얼굴도 뵙고 좋더라 건강들 하시고 일관이가 없으셨. 네가 내 대신 얘 과외 선생님 좀 해주라 영어 대학생인 척하라는 거야? 구라를 좀 치지 뭐 좋은 실력으로 왜 미디는 맨날 떨어지냐. 아 죽을래. 전 이게 위조나 문제라고 생각하지 않아요. Last and definitely not least, since it ended up being the winner of Best Picture, is Parasite. Uh, I, I am so happy to see uh, a non-English language film win Best Picture. I think it was a miracle when, over the years, where a film like uh, uh, La Vita Bella, Life is Beautiful, uh, or uh, *Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, would get a Best Picture nomination, being a non-English language film, but to actually have one that wins. Um, and for it to be the first film uh, nominated for Oscar uh from south korea was extraordinary parasite is very difficult film to explain and there is a lot of levels and layers to it and i think that's what academy members fell in love with i feel like this is the kind of uh risk taking film that a movie like pulp fiction was in the mid 90s uh part of my issue though is pulp fiction didn't win best picture Uh, a movie like fargo did not win best picture but that's also perhaps because uh there were three movies that i view as classics as i've stated the Irishman, once upon a time in Hollywood, in nineteen seventeen. Uh, but Parasite is such an interesting film. Uh, I, I I I can't be anything but happy for. How things turned out. Bong Joon ho has uh, been a, a prominent filmmaker for a long time. Uh, I'm a fan of uh, this rather wild uh, film he did called The Host, which looked very much like a Godzilla creature feature type of a film, but then had very, very serious implications and kind of a greater message about uh, uh, true stories of pollution that had uh, happened in, in, in Korea. Uh, Parasite looks at this uh, family really, really strongly and how they find a way to con this uh, more affluent family uh, into, you know, hiring them and and giving them uh, a lot of money. So it deals with the idea of of greed and class discrimination. And, uh, but there is a real dark turn towards the end of the second act into the third act here, uh, where you can see that Poe has been a very prominent uh, horror film director. And so in some ways, this is a family drama. In some ways this is a bit of a a psychological almost Hitchcockian thriller Uh, in other ways this is a horror film Um, and other times it's a dark comedy it's it involves so many different genres I think that's also why it became a little bit universal and and relatable to enough Academy members for it to do incredibly well I I believe it was a record that uh, Ho achieved winning for himself four Academy Awards Uh, he won one for writing he won for for producing, he won for directing, um, and it uh, it is a it is an exceptional film. But whether it deserved Best Picture, I'm not totally sure about. In fairness, I have only watched it once. I plan to revisit it, and maybe on a second or third viewing of it, I, I will I might change my opinion. I haven't had the benefit of time or to sort of see the legacy of a film like Irishman, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 1917, and Parasite. I'm not sure. I I'm, the issue of class system and how unfair they are in many ways is an important theme and has been dealt with as I mentioned modern times and I, I believe in Joker there is that theme in there as well. Uh, so it's been covered by a lot of films uh, before. I know a lot of war films have done very well at the Academy Awards, and maybe that worked against 1917. Uh, I know Scorsese finally got his uh, Academy Awards for The Departed. He's been nominated many times. I still think there's a little bit of a an issue that the Academy has with Scorsese, kind of doing his own thing, and he's still kind of a New York filmmaker. I don't know if that goes against him. I know that Tarantino rubs people the wrong way, because he, I, I will say He's a genius, but he is aware that he is a genius. And sometimes he he will say things, not thinking that um, some people might get to a point where they don't necessarily like him as a person, even if they appreciate his filmmaking, and that might have worked against Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Also, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a summer release uh, versus Parasite, which was a little bit more of a, a late fall in release, a November-ish release. Uh, 1917 was a late in the year release. So that's why it became a battle between Parasite in 1917. I would go with 1917 because it just took something, took me into the movie and immersed me in a way that Parasite did not. I appreciated it. I like movies about families like this. I like darker themes in my movies and uh, again, I I have been waiting for a foreign language film to do this well at the Academy Awards for a long time and we've been building up to it I think over the last 20 years or so but whether it was the best film of 2019, I would say no but it perhaps is a film that is going to be viewed as uh into that realms as a classic, depending on how it ages. Is it going to be viewed in the way that uh, a movie like Crash that beat Brokeback Mountain is, where some people now think there was a mistake that it won Best Picture, or is it going to be viewed in the way that, like, a, a Schindler's List or a Forrest Gump uh, has a legacy which has lasted 25 years uh, later? So, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in the future, and there may be a re-analysis, reanalysis of this at a later time. I do plan to eventually uh, uh, get a copy of Parasite, and I'm sure I will be talking about it in a little bit more detail with a guest. Uh, so, I'm happy about it, but I'm torn because two of my favorite movies of the decade were in this list and then another movie which immersed me in uh as a as a moviegoer in a way that i had not experienced in a long long time so i'm very happy for parasite but whether it will be marked as high as some of those other films i don't think so and the oscar goes to Parasite. <laughs> Parasite has six Academy Award nominations and is the first film not in the English language to win Best Picture. Okay, thank you so much for tuning in to this rather unique episode. And uh, I do wish I had a guest with me to sort of counterbalance my point system. So it's kind of one man's opinion here. Um, and it would be interesting to get another uh, uh, another person's take on these nine films. Here was my uh, scoring of them out of 90 points. Ford versus Ferrari, I would give a 5 to. It's a terrific popcorn film. You'll enjoy it, but it's not best picture material. The Irishman to me is a classic. I gave 21 points to it uh, it's one of my favorite scorsese films after i saw it i went on the record saying that martin scorsese is the greatest filmmaker of all time please please check it out jojo rabbit is an original film um, but i just in this this list of nine it did not for me, uh, measure up as far as being in the top five here. But I did give it nine points. Joker gave 13 points to. Uh, again, I think it's very difficult to do anything new with the whole Batman and the Joker world. And Todd Phillips, who's The director of The Hangover, I didn't have much faith in as a filmmaker. Uh, Phoenix is extraordinary, but it's not just Phoenix. The whole film is terrific, and uh, I gave 13 to that. Uh, A very worthy, worthy film. Little Women, uh, I gave 8 to. Uh, Serviceable probably more than serviceable job of telling the story and trying to modernize it emphasizing the uh, the feminist messages in there uh, Greta Gerwig is a very exciting filmmaker and I'm I'll I'll be in line to uh, to watch anything that she comes up with over the next several years merit story I also like Noah Bomback her partner um, and uh, i like The Squid and the Whale uh, more than Marriage Story. I gave five to Marriage Story. Performances are good, uh, but I, I I think it was a little bit out of, out of its league. I think it was built up to be something a little bit more uh, amazing than it actually is. I have seen films like this and I've seen them done better and a lot of those films have not actually earned any Oscars or Best Picture nominations. Uh, then we get to 1917. Again, 18 points for 1917. Uh, I... it is an amazing film i was like do we need another war picture uh but i was blown away by the experience of seeing it in the movie theater both times and it it is an important film a lot of people should watch it once upon a time in hollywood i gave 20 points to i am insanely biased towards tarantino but this was not necessarily what i thought i i never quite know what i'm going to get from his films he continues to surprise me uh all these years later from 1992 with Reservoir Dogs to now, and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a highly rewatchable film. Uh, I'm excited to watch it again. I love it. I gave uh, Parasite 11, which seems probably fairly low considering it was the eventual winner, and it is an historic achievement that uh, has uh, has happened here with Parasite winning Best Picture, Best Director, Best Foreign Language Film, uh, the Writing Award, and all that. But I think there were three movies. At at least if not four, that i i feel were were better and deserve best picture more yet there are many people out there that would highly disagree with me and i'm happy to hear from you uh please reach out uh, communicate with me uh, again my email is uh shelf shedding at gmail.com uh please like uh, uh the facebook group the shelf shedding movie show you can send me messages send me your thoughts on this uh what would your list have been but again if i had gone with uh five non when this year the nominees for the 2019 Academy Awards would have been The Irishman, Joker, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. And I obviously would have given, my vote would have gone to The Irishman narrowly over Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I also, uh, just before I wrap up this uh, show, I want to do a shout out to uh, my friend Larry Parsons' show, Rank and Review. Every two weeks, he uh, drops an episode. And if you listen to our last show, uh, tribute, episode to Jeff Bridges he knows his stuff and uh, he's very engaging host with his program and uh, i'm looking forward to uh in whatever way we do this getting back on there i'm continuing to uh, create some shows i have a few lined up with guests coming up and we may be experimenting with uh remote ways to be able to uh review the films um in this time of uh, a lot of staying at home and self-isolation and that that kind of thing i hope all of you listening to this have enjoyed the show and that you are